Hey kids, your old pal Sanders. I'm Sans Live because the two sorry excuses are on hiatus this week. Uh, it's Thanksgiving week. But instead of leaving you high and dry, we've put together a little call back to the archives. I'm going to replay one of my favorite episodes, one of our first episodes. Uh, it's episode number four, the sexy Sparta Thanksgiving. It has everything you need, uh, including our first technical issue, a discussion of Jim Garner, our good buddy Jim Garner and the Rockford Files, and a little Thanksgiving Day syphilis. So most of you have not heard this before, so sit back and enjoy if you have, we appreciate the second download, although technically I guess we tricked you into it, but what are you going to do? You downloaded it already. You already pushed play. The hard part's over. So sit back and enjoy the two sorry excuses, and as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. Have a great Thanksgiving. <coughs> Jim, it's your mother. You haven't called me in weeks. Get off my nuts, Mom. I'm watching the Rockford Files. <laughs> this is a test of the emergency broadcast system. Uh, you follow me here? And <laughs> a lot of dead air on the other side over there, Mr. Sanders. <laughs> Uh, I'm listening. Okay. I'm also looking up the population of Sandusfield. Despite the fact that we covered it an hour ago, yes. I don't remember. It's up to 915. <laughs> this whole thing has a deja vu effect to it. I've been trying to figure out how to introduce a syphilis joke to a bunch of five and five and six-year-olds for the last few years, and I think Let's see now how we can work some syphilis into this. <laughs> I'm Sanders, and he's Liv, and we are Two Sorry Excuses. Liveroo! What's up, Sam, man? Two Sorry Excuses, week number four. Take Take two. two. Yes. Sorry, dude. Somewhere out there, though, you know, maybe one day that lost episode will be discovered. We can put it together for a, for a bonus pod, yeah, Lost like, Tapes. Like those old Honeymooners Lost episodes they had back in the 80s. I'll be honest, I'm surprised it didn't happen before episode four. Yeah, so it's some success. We're playing with house money at this point. 
Yeah, no kidding. Better not happen for the live show in Syracuse come January. <laughs> well, that's the beauty of the live show. Because yeah. we don't have to record it. Uh, the whole interview with Coach Beheim lost the history. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're back. It's Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, the Syracuse um, semifinal uh, win against Cal is in the books. Yep. Just waiting the... End result of this Baylor-Dayton tilt right now, which Dayton, I believe, is up about by eight points with about six minutes left. Yep. Yep. They um, Baylor just cut it to eight. Uh, Dayton had pushed it to ten. Um, so it looks like that's going to come down to the wire. So maybe before we're done here, we'll have a, uh, we'll have a matchup for the Maui Invitational Final. You know, I know we're supposed to cut to the chase since we are – Doing a re-recording right now, but uh, I did want to mention this before. When I call you up on the Skype, you know that's how we record this thing is on the the old Skype. It does the ringing noise, and all I can think about when I hear that ring for some reason is I imagine the beginning of the Rockford Files. <laughs> Hey, Jim, it's your landlord. The check bounced again. That was always something like that. Some negative thing. Jim, it's your mother. You haven't called me in weeks. And then it would get into, of course, the iconic Mike, Mike Post uh, composed uh, Rockford Files theme song. But uh, I just wanted to throw that in there for the, uh, for the audience of a particular age that might appreciate a Rockford Files reference. That's funny. I was a big Rockford Files fan. Uh, I loved it. That that period of television was pretty good. I was just turning five or six, you know, so six to yeah. eight years old. You know, you start to get a little freedom in terms of what you watch. Um, you know, at least back then when there was only three stations, you yeah. know, your parents didn't have to have to uh, watch too much uh, in terms of what you were dialing into. But um, Rockford Files, what you watched. Get off my nuts, Mom. I'm watching the Rockford Files. <laughs> uh, BJ and the Bear was a favorite of mine back then. Oh, I love that show. Anytime you, my... anytime you can feature a man in a big rig and a monkey, that's yeah. a winning combination. I don't know how they haven't brought that back yet. Yeah, I mean, they had some... <laughs> the combination of primate and truck driver was so prominent in the late 70s and early 80s. You know, the... Any which way you can, and every which way but loose movies, the Clint Eastwood films. Monkeys were huge, dude. Yeah, scrap the scrap the caddy, Clyde. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was a six million dollar man fan. Yeah, yeah. I was a big fan of chips. Yeah, chips was good. I had the chips action figures. I was a big yeah. action figures kid. Yeah, yeah. Well, who wasn't? <laughs> they weren't dolls. They were action. They were figures. action figures. Starsky and Hutch. Starsky and Hutch. That's a little bit before my time. Of course, even Rockford Files is a little bit before my time. What I remember about the Rockford Files was uh, when I was a little after the news, they would show they would show Mash at ten thirty five, and then once Mash ended, they would show Rockford Files, and I was always up late enough just to see like the intro, you know. I rarely th- made it through a whole episode of uh, of Rockford Files. And, and, one episode, it seems like that I made it through on multiple times, though, was 
uh, the time Rockford infiltrated a biker gang. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I think he did it multiple times. I think that was a running theme. So. I'm sure he did, since the show apparently took place like in California. You know, it seems like, uh, you know, I don't know, it seems like biker gangs are everywhere down there. At least that's what I learned from Chips and Rockford Files. And Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, well, I don't watch that. Everything I everything I know I learned in kindergarten. <laughs> uh, well, we're here uh, on a Tuesday night instead of our usual Thursday, which, to be honest, it can't necessarily be a usual Thursday because we've only done the show on Thursday twice. Yeah. And we've broken the pattern. We usually do it. <laughs> <laughs> we always do it on Thursday. It's been that way for weeks. <laughs> Except for when we don't do it because there's a Saints game on a Thursday or a major holiday the next week and we can't do it on a Wednesday because one of the guys has gone to the Poconos for Thanksgiving. You know, but other than that, we always do it on Thursday. <laughs> These are just outliers right now. I uh, I am on my way to the Poconos. I uh, actually most of the family's up there right now. Oh, nice. Which is um. And you're staying behind just to record this. That's exactly. Amazing. Exactly. Yeah. I have contractual obligations, man. Yes. Uh, with Geico, I believe. <laughs> we learned on the, the lost recording we did an hour ago, or that ended about 15 minutes ago. Uh, <laughs> Uh, well, you know, normally we don't, but of course it's the Thanksgiving week. Uh, with that being said, I, I believe we should, uh, you know, maybe discuss, um, Thanksgiving times of yore, such as, uh, our old days back in the Cuse. So I don't imagine you got home very often. My first year I came home. Uh, just because it was first year, it was the first chance I had to be home. When did I get up there? August. I got up there, and I came home for that Thanksgiving. All I remember about that was, you know, you don't realize the stuff you say when you're from a certain region, when you're around it and you're saying it all the time. But, you know, when you're from Louisiana, you know, the South, you go to school in Syracuse, just to adapt, you quit saying certain things like y'all. What I remember about that trip was coming home and going out to a bar with my buddy, with a couple of my buddies. A uh, bar that doesn't exist anymore, a place called Racketeers. It was a big pool hall, and they used to do a thing called College Ladies Night. But we were in there, and it seemed like all anybody was saying was y'all, because I hadn't heard it in so long. It was like, y'all, y'all, y'all. And that was definitely the weirdest experience about my first visit home after college, after i uh, gone away to college. Um, but other than that, the sophomore year I spent in the town of Sandusfield, Massachusetts, uh, which is out in the Berkshire Mountains near, uh, Great Barrington. I guess their claim to fame out there is the Tanglewood Music Festival or something. And, uh, two years after that, I spent in Pittsburgh with the Goldberg family. Um, but, uh, let me tell you about the first time in Sandusfield. Uh, you follow me here? <laughs> and a lot of dead air on the other side over there, Mr. Sanders. <laughs> uh, I'm listening. Okay. I'm also looking up the population of Sandusfield. 
Despite the fact that we covered it an hour ago, yes. I don't remember. It's up to 915. <laughs> this whole thing has a deja vu effect to it. Okay, that's exactly what it is. Yes. Uh, that's exactly what it is. All right, good for I you. I seem to be having this conversation before. Well, here's the good part is that if there's two guys who can rehash the same story over and over again, it's you and I, because we've been doing it for about 20 years now. So yeah, there's no shame in our game in, in reliving past tales. But now we will learn how annoying each of us is to each other. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, yeah, Sanders, feel me, go ahead. <laughs> did you just tell this story 40 minutes ago? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rob Brown. Rob Brown never heard of him. Let's oh, go. Right. Let's go. Let's go. All right. So anyway, so the first year we're in the small town of Sandersfield, Mass. Uh, population population about seven something at the time, but apparently it has grown into a bustling metropolis of nine hundred fifteen people or so at this point. Uh, so I'm with my buddy Brown. It's a type of town, they might be one stoplight in town, if any. I don't know if there is at all. I know there's one cop. When the sun goes down Sandersfield Mass, it goes down on you. Wait, what? <laughs> and not in a good way. What, ha um, <laughs> what happens when the cop has to go on vacation? People just police themselves, I guess, you know? <laughs> it's probably like uh, Otis, the town drunk on Mayberry. He goes and locks himself up when he's too drunk to be on the streets anymore. The cop deputizes random citizens. Yeah, yes. Hands over the keys and the gun. You're in charge this week, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, uh, the big when you, when you're from Sandusfield, Massachusetts, one activity you do a lot of is you you smoke a lot of pot. Okay. You know, so we're down there and. Uh, my buddy Ryan, you know, he's like, he's like, we gotta go to the trading post in Kent, Connecticut. It's awesome, you know. It's this head shop down there, right on the other side of the Massachusetts border, uh, like forty minutes away. He's like, we're gonna hang out with my boy JP. Pretty sure it's his name, uh, or as Ryan used to call him, P Quad. So we go. JP comes and picks us up to take us. To the trading post, which is about 40 minutes away. So we're going on this, you know, uh, almost two-hour round trip down to uh, down to Canton, Connecticut. Well, he shows up in his Bronco or Blazer or whatever it is, and it has the, the back window has been blown out. And uh, if you know anything about, you know, being in a northern climate during Thanksgiving, it's freaking cold. Freezing. Yes, freezing cold. Especially up there in the Berkshires. Yes, yeah, it's it's very cold. It was probably, you know, it was at least 40 degrees that day. Or, you know, it was in the 40s. Whatever, it's too damn cold to be driving around without heat and with the windows down. And he's like, no, no, it's all right, it'll be fine. He gets in the front seat, proceeds to throw on his... Uh, his Mexican, uh, it appeared to be like one of those Mexican-style blankets, you know, the wo woven blankets. Yeah, like a hippie blanket. Yes, of course. And he was a hippie, or at least he had the appearance of a hippie. He might have just been a Sandusfielder for all we know. Uh, and he proceeds to put that on. 
Meanwhile, we're sitting in the car. We, we weren't aware that this was that we need to bring our own blankets for this ride. <laughs> <laughs> we proceed to go down driving in this car without any heat, without missing a huge window. Uh, the 40 meds down to Canton, Connecticut, just so we can check out this real cool head shop, man. And I think the only purchase of any consequence was a was a new version of the game, Cosmic Wimp Out, that my buddy Ryan just need to have. But I, I guess I'm glad he bought something, or else the trip would have really felt like a waste. But yeah. uh, but that's the scarred memory I have of Thanksgiving and uh, Sandusfield, uh, Massachusetts. And then, uh, of course, I also remember the Thanksgiving dinner itself when we were at his uh, uncle's house in New Hartford. And uh, his uncle was like the cool, you know, drink, you know, drink excessively, uh, you know, puffing on a J in his 40s uncle. You know that guy. Right. You know, the, the party dude. And all what I remember about him more than anything was, you know, it was probably about five o'clock in the evening at this point, you know, been drinking all day. And he's got his bottle of beer and he just kept putting it up to his eyeball as if he was going to drink it with his eye. He kept saying, it don't fit. It don't fit. <laughs> Does everybody else... I don't else... name. Don't remember anything, but I'm sure I will know his name by the time this thing gets gets broadcast. Does, now, yeah. does everybody else in the family just kind of know to ignore him? Well, he's the one hosting the dinner, so obviously he's uh, he's got quite the charisma about him. You know, I mean... I guess they just know, oh, that's old uncle such and such. He's just a crazy SOB. <laughs> <laughs> hey, was the food good at least? Oh, the food was great. I mean, you, you say it like it's a negative thing that he was sticking the, the beer in his eye. It was hilarious. <laughs> Especially for an 18-year-old kid who was just being introduced to the exotic world of New York for Connecticut. I guess so. I guess so. Uh, Which is really kind of a weird part of the world. I do recall seeing a Confederate flag flying over a house up there, which, not not the house we were at, just along the way, which I just found odd that, uh, you know, somebody up there is a sympathizer. Yeah, that's that's a weird little corner of the Northeast. It's like, it's almost like the place time forgot. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, so Um, it's weird. Yeah, you know, they don't, they drive around with, you know, cars missing windows in the middle of, in the dead of winter. They try to drink through their eye sockets, although the beers don't fit, you know, and they're waving Confederate flags. A very weird pocket of the Northeast. They must don't know where to go, so they try to cover it all. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's not nearly as progressive as, like, New Jersey. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but then the next two years, I went down to Pittsburgh, uh, specifically Mount, Mount Lebanon with, uh, Aaron Goldberg, who was a, a denizen of 1106, one of the fellow roommates during my years there. Yegi to his friends yes. and admirers. Yegis, please. Thank you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Yegi. He was—he was quite a character, that kid. Well, how'd you guys get out there? Drive, because that's a pretty hefty uh, haul out to Pittsburgh. Yes, we, 
Yeah, it's about, what was it, five to six hours away from Syracuse? Yeah. But, uh, you know, that was an age before we had cell phones and stuff. But uh, Jaeger, 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 uh, Jaeger Goldberg, he had, a, he had a blazer. And he also had a fascination with truck drivers. Like, he used to, Goldberg, if you knew him in college, he, he wore jeans, boots, and flannel shirts with a cap. And he grew the... The handlebar mustache. Like, he liked to think of himself as, like, a little truck driving guy. Yeah, he fancied himself a, a, an outdoorsman Yes. My man's man. was kind of a... Which is really funny, because, like, I thought, like, oh, he's kind of a blue-collar kid. I mean, I knew he was, like, a Jewish kid with money. But, like, I was like, oh, well, he must be common like that. Then I got to his house, and I remember they had pictures on the wall, like, studio-style photographs of him you know resting his head on his chin and he had like this long beautiful locks you know <laughs> like gl- it, a glamour shot it, yeah like professional studio pictures and uh, his mother was giving him hell about why did he cut his hair he had such beautiful hair <laughs> you know because part of his truck driving persona was to have a close cropped haircut you know right but uh, <laughs> And he also had a CB radio. <laughs> and he liked to communicate with truck drivers like he was one of them. <laughs> this this story is a lot more uh, is a lot more amusing if you know that Aaron Goldberg is only five foot five. Yes, he's yes, he was five foot five. Uh, Wealthy Jewish kid from Pittsburgh. He he is the exact opposite of what a uh, jeans, boot wearing, truck driving, CB talking, macho man is all about. Yeah, he was the equivalent of like Billy Crystal in City Slickers. <laughs> you know, he is to that as you know, he is to truck drivers as Billy Crystal was to. Uh, actual cowboys in that movie. All right, but he he had a seat at the Thanksgiving table. Yeah, brought you well, along. Um, the key story here was the trip to dinner. I believe it was the second year I went with him. Every year back then, you know, Syracuse used to play Miami on the Friday after Thanksgiving or so, or they changed it to the Friday after Thanksgiving, I guess. Um, back then, because I think it was on a Saturday a few years, but they were trying to build that rivalry because at the time. Miami was obviously the alpha dog program in the Big East, and we were one of the pretenders. Right. Um, so we, we can never beat Miami, as you recall, from uh, you know your freshman year when you watched on TV from your dorm room <laughs> as we almost beat them. <laughs> Making $40 along yes, the way. as you made a cool $40 and bought a, and bought a bunch of natty ices with it. Uh, uh, Milwaukee's best. Milwaukee's best, yes. Unleash the beast. Uh, so anyway, we go out to dinner uh, to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. And as we're leaving dinner, uh, we pass the Ruth's Chris bar. And Mark Goldberg stops us. He's like, you see who that is? He's like, that's a Pittsburgh legend over there. That's Beano Cook. And, and for those of you who don't know who Beano Cook is... Uh, Bino Cook just died, I believe, in the last year. He was a legendary college football commentator. Like, 
He didn't do games or anything. He was the sports information director of Pittsburgh for several, for a long time. I believe he was responsible for Tony Dorsett's Heisman campaign, basically. Uh, and then later on, he became a, a commenter on ESPN. And in his later years, they would, every Saturday, doing the scoreboard show, up until about two years ago. They would, um, they'd be like, now it's time to see what Bino thinks. And they'd send it to him. He'd be in a remote, you know, by remote from Pittsburgh. And he would just pass judgment on the day's events and what he felt about the season. And he wasn't, uh, he wasn't your typical analyst. He, he was more of an historian, um, soothsayer, prognosticator. Yeah. He loved Joe Paterno. He... He 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 had a way of commanding uh, the audience, and and you know you knew he was different. You knew he wasn't your typical talking head, despite the fact that he was almost literally a talking head because you yeah. only ever saw him live uh, on location from Pittsburgh, holed up in some auxiliary studio. Yes, in front of a green screen with a Pittsburgh backdrop in front of him. But he knew his stuff, and if you grew yeah. up during that time. Uh, he was the authority on college football. Yeah, he was like the oracle of college football. You know, you went to him, you're like, well, what do you think about this? I remember I remember years ago, during the late Pascaloni era, when people were getting antsy about Pas- about Coach P, you know, and they they presented that to him on there, uh, on the college football scoreboard show. I remember him famously, famous to me, uh, saying... Syracuse fans have to be have to get realistic. Yeah, like he was just like deal with it. Six and five, seven and four is as good as you people can ever expect to have. Um, and I guess you know, looking back, I'd be I'd be begging for seven and four every year at this point. I yeah, guess no kidding. You know, um, or seven and five or eight and four, whatever it is, just to get some sense of consistency again. Uh, whatever the case is, so Bino Cook, the Pittsburgh legend, is at the bar. He's sitting there eating his steak and drinking like a scotch on the rocks or whatever, and he's he's BSing with the bartender. And I'm sure this is a this is a regular occurrence, you know. I'm sure that bartender probably sees him at least once a week and sits there and talks about all matters of the world of sports, Pittsburgh, politics, whatever. But um, I'm like, all right, I'll go and introduce myself to him because I thought it was really cool because, you know, like you, you know, I, I'm one of those kids that grew up a college football fan that grew up a Beano Cook fan. So I walk up to Beano Cook. I introduce myself to him, shake his hand. I'm like, hi, Mr. Cook. Uh, name's Matt Livicari. I go to Syracuse University. I got a question. What do you think about the Syracuse-Miami game tomorrow? Without skipping a beat. Bino says, Syracuse is like the Germans. Until they win a war, I'm not picking them. Miami 23, Syracuse 10. And that was it. <laughs> Even had the score at the ready. Yes, he had a score and everything, like as if he was just ready to go. You know, like like as if he knew someone was going to present him with that question. Now get out of here, kid. Yeah. You're bothering me. I went back and I, you know, Mark Goldberg, the uh, the patriarch, he's like, what did he say? And I told him, he's like, oh my God, he just started dying of laughter. And uh, 
Luckily, the next day, the Germans finally did win their war. <laughs> you know? Luckily, it was that war and not the other war. Or <laughs> any of the other wars the Germans fought. Because somehow they're always on the wrong side of history. Uh, but that was my experience with uh, my, my kooky Thanksgiving Syracuse experience there. See, now, I'm... What about you? You uh yeah, I'm I'm only four and a half, five hours away. Uh you know, top, so I came home every every Thanksgiving. Unfortunately, I didn't drive uh, for my first couple of years up there, so I was I was always jockeying for for a shotgun or um you know, hump seat of some yeah. some random person who, who was gonna let me off on the Garden State Parkway somewhere. But um Luckily, luckily, Laughlin um, lived about an hour and a half, two hours away from me in northern Jersey, and um, he would routinely drive me to his house, where my parents would then meet us, um, and then I'd finish up the you know the extra hour and a half or two hours home. So it was nice. It, not only did I get to hang out with him, we got to his parents' house, um, you know, in in about two and a half, three hours. Um, his mom always had a spread. You know, we sat around, you know, kind of chatted a while. And my parents would show up, and and the second half of the trip was, um, you know, only two hours long. So it was always a manageable ride home. So I never, I never minded coming home. Um, but somewhere along the line, um, my good fortune seemingly ran out because my schedule didn't match with Laughlin, and he always seemed to be going home on a Monday when the you know the holiday was on a Thursday or yeah. you know he 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 squeezed his schedule so he had those extra few days at the front end so he would pawn me off on on various you know friends and third parties um of his that either lived in his town or were were from his high school or or folks that he had met along the way and um I'd always be hitching rides with with folks who who I'd never met before but uh, luckily for me, and and ultimately luckily for Laughlin, um, he only appeared to associate with uh, extremely hot, super cool, upper middle class chicks who went to Syracuse. <laughs> and every holiday, it was like a revolving door of uh, of a who's who Maxim girls of Syracuse who would be picking me up and shuffling me down to New Jersey. And um, God bless these girls, because I had nothing intelligent to say at, you know, at 18, 19 years old. Uh, some would say I have nothing intelligent to say now, but at least my vocabulary has developed over the last 20 years. Back then, I was just a bumbling idiot with with no real worldview, opinion, or experience. Um, but these chicks one after another one hotter than the other entertained uh car rides home uh and would you know bring me door to door drop me off and and send me on my way for thanksgiving and right uh, on to my right on to chris laughlin's house right <laughs> yeah because they lived in his town yeah and i still lived another two hours away 
uh, Laughlin's house was the was the meeting point, regardless of who drove me home. So um, they would just bring me to his house, and whether he was home or not, uh, you know, I'd knock on the front door, and his mom would let me in, and she'd still have the same spread, you know, and the same welcoming mm-hmm. uh, demeanor, and we'd sit and we'd chat for a while, and eventually my parents would uh, would show up, but she'd be like, oh, who brought you home this this time? Uh, was it, was it uh, Maureen Renoff? Oh, that Maureen, she's a sweet, sweet girl. No, no, this time it was uh, Julie Redfern, uh, Mrs. Laughlin. <laughs> oh, that Julie, oh, she's a sweetheart. She's a real looker, isn't she? And they were all from uh, Sparta, New Jersey? Sparta, New Jersey. So you were like a ward of the Sparta, New Jersey Cuse community? You had Basically. to, you had to, um, you had to enter a checkpoint in the community that they lived in. It was a gated community uh, called oh, okay. Lake, Lake Mohawk. And, uh, on more than one occasion I got the, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. He's with me. <laughs> he, he's fine. You don't have to check his ID. He's, he's just, don't worry. He won't be here very long. And then they would shuttle me in, drop me off at the Laughlin's. I'd get a sandwich or two, and then uh, my parents would pick me up, and I'd be home to enjoy the the rest of the Thanksgiving weekend. So, you know, Thanksgiving, uh, uh, you know, are, are mostly uh, predictable traditions in the DeSantis household, but the car rides home from Syracuse were always memorable events. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they were great, especially being brought home by those foxy older chicks. And you, they were so friendly and so accommodating, you would see them on campus, and yeah. you had a you know an instant connection. You, you share a, a, a two or three hour car ride with somebody a couple times a year, and you start to uh, you start to strike up a friendship. Yeah, or so you think. <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> Little did I know that people were just nice sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I really gotta get home for Thanksgiving. Josh is showing off Moorhead State's newest cheer today. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? I don't remember what he did for Thanksgiving because he went to school in Kentucky, uh, Moorhead yeah. State, on a cheerleading scholarship, and that was not close. That was a good fourteen to yeah, maybe eighteen long, hour long. drive. Yeah, I-, I can't imagine that he came home very often. No, I'm sure he didn't. I think for most Thanksgiving, he probably ended up staying down there and going. Going home with somebody who was local. Phil Sims' house. Most right? <laughs> or Don Henley's. <laughs> yeah, Don Henley and uh, maybe a child version of uh, Kenneth Fareed. <laughs> there, we just named them all three famous Moorhead State, State alumni. Done. <laughs> Done. Book it next. <laughs> <laughs> Check it off. Uh. So, um, yeah, there's more going to added to that list. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu master Josh DeSantis. <laughs> oh, there'll be plenty of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu up in the Poconos this weekend. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, I just, if I was you, I'd always get nervous. Uh, you know, you have a couple of drinks around the table. Thanksgiving words start getting exchanged. They challenges you to meet him in his dojo. <laughs> Happens every year. <laughs> this year I've packed my own gi. I'm tired of I'm tired of wearing his hand me down gis. Yeah. <laughs> every year. 
Matt Mosoft and Josh gets angry. Next thing you know, there's a throwdown in the dojo. <laughs> Same thing every year. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, I love that. Like, you know, Dan Dan Creedon doesn't know doesn't know you or me from Adam. But he knows he knows that if people were gonna be getting into it or causing some trouble, it would be us. Right, right. <laughs> I love that's the calling card, regardless of whether we're we're at an event or not. Yes. He goes to the well with. Sanders said something to Liz. How's it go? I don't know. It's like Sanders and Liz. Sanders said something to live. <laughs> it happens every year. <laughs> We are the wacky uncles, I guess. I guess, right. (laughs) If you don't know who the wacky uncle is in your family, you're probably it. (laughs) I guarantee you, you're the wacky uncle in your family. I am the wacky uncle in my family. Yeah, of course. For for the time being, it's been, you know, it's been pretty harmless and, and pretty docile because... The kids are are small enough that yeah. you kind of really got to be careful with what you introduce them to. But they're starting to get older now, and and really all bets are off. So we're gonna have a little fun this this Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really curious what 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 are you what are you unrestraining this year? What have you been holding back for the past few years that you can now introduce them to? Well, for the last few years, I've been working on a, um, a Thanksgiving themed telepageant that I look to, uh, unveil this Thanksgiving, uh, to the family with, um, with my nieces and nephews playing the, the, the parts of Pocahontas and John Smith. So we'll see how it goes. We'll see I'm how glad it goes. I've been working on this. <laughs> I've been trying to figure out how to introduce a syphilis joke to a bunch of five and five and six year olds <laughs> for the last few years, and I think Let's see ne- how we can work some syphilis into this. <laughs> I think now's the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, hell, why, why hold back? Just let them know the brutal reality of the way Thanksgiving really was. That's right. You know, rife with syphilis. <laughs> Oh, God. Well, what are you thankful for this year, Mr. Sanders? I'll tell you what. I am uh, I'm, I'm thankful for family. Of course. Uh, in particular, I'm thankful for Ange because um, my uh, wacky shenanigans have not uh, dissipated over the last several years. In fact, they've only gotten wackier and shenaniganier. Uh, yet, she still continues to put up with me day well, after day. If anything, Ange is the the wacky female version of you in many respects, in my opinion. Although, um, the cuter version? That's debatable. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, thank you, my friend. You're not so bad yourself. Yeah, thanks. You know, it's all about mutual admiration. What about, uh, you? What about you? What do you? What do you got on the... Uh... I guess I'm thankful for my family, of course. Thankful for my health. And, um, I don't know. Thankful for every day I get to breathe a little bit more, man. You know? L-I-V-I-N. Yep, yep. L-I-V-I-N, my man. Speaking of living, we will, uh, 
we'll be living out in Maui against uh, Baylor tomorrow night. Yes, we will. Baylor, Baylor came back and held on in a tight one there, 67 to 66. Um, Almost lost it at the buzzer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, apparently, it was a very exciting finish, but uh, it was lost on me because we were engaged in this re-recording. Uh, <laughs> I'm not really sure how Baylor plays, but you know, because I never got to really watch them too much tonight. Uh, they're big and they're long. Yeah. Uh, one thing watching the games, like watching tonight, uh, particularly when they had their big man in before he got in foul trouble, we had troubles down under. We got to guard against that if. And if, like you say, Baylor's thing is that they're big, you know, we gotta be we gotta be better on the inside. We were letting Cal get get inside and make those interior passes, setting guys up right under the hoop way too easily, way too often tonight. We also had some trouble inside with Minnesota as well. Yeah. Um their big men were causing some some problems and and I think one of the reasons um, we were able to pull away in both of those instances is because in both games, the opposing big men got themselves in foul trouble and yeah. had to sit considerable stretches on the bench. Yeah. Now, today, um, Grant was able to exploit that and really play above the rim and, and uh, do some damage inside. Uh, to the tune of uh, 19 points and 7-11 from, from the field. Um, and a couple just posterizing dunks, sports yeah. center quality plays um, that kind of get you excited. If if he can find some type of mid-range game and improve his free throw shooting so he can be on the, on the, on the floor in the last 10 minutes of each half, um, he, he's got that that Dion Waiters quality certainly not as athletic but it it gives you that that feeling off the bench that there's a there's a surge there's a run coming you know yeah. there's some energy behind what he's going to bring on the floor um and he really he had a an awesome game tonight found his stroke from the free throw line um this this trip tonight. Went four for four yesterday and five for six uh, today. Although, you know those those rims are as loose as the, our Lady of Perpetual Hopes gym. Um, so I wouldn't take too much out of it. But uh, you know, any confidence they can they can uh, carry over into into tomorrow night's game, and then when they come back, uh, you know, when they come back to Syracuse, um, will certainly help. Uh, because up until this week, until this um, this trip, we've been abysmal from the free throw line. Yeah. Oh, we've been atrocious. You know, the only thing that's been solving our ills are the, like you said, the soft rims of Maui. Uh, speaking of soft rims, Tyler Ennis found his touch tonight. Yep, Tyler Ennis played very well tonight. What do you have? Uh, twenty eight points, I believe. Yeah, twenty eight points was. Uh, was nine for twelve from the field, eight from eight from the stripe, um, four rebounds, four assists, three steals. Listen, he does it. Yeah, he, he does it 
in every facet of the game. I want the ball in his hands, too. He can distribute, he can drive, he can rebound, he can play defense, and up until but up until tonight he hadn't been able to score. He'd, yeah. He'd been horrible I, from the field, but we saw flashes like was against and against Colgate, I believe he went three for four from three point range. But he hasn't he hadn't he hadn't had a game where he had put it all together just yet. And tonight was the first tonight was the first signs that that he might be getting it all together soon. He was, um, you know, he's the only guy I want to see out there handling the ball, though. Because as good of a game as Trevor played tonight, Cooney, uh, there's two times, two times in a row where he, you know, basically tossed the ball right to the guys for Cal and they went, uh, went off for fast break layup shots, you know. And a four-point lead all of a sudden was a tie game. I I I only want to see it in, I only want to see the ball in Tyler's hands unless unless he's throwing it to Cooney to shoot a three. You know. Well, that's going to have to be the mo because who else is going to handle the ball on this team? Benajay, I guess. I I guess I I like Benajay uh, on top of the key. Um, he's tall. He's big. Um, you know, he plays big. Um, and he certainly can handle the ball, but yeah. you know, I, you, you definitely lose something when when Ennis isn't on the when Ennis isn't on the court, and and I think he's going to have to play that prescribed thirty five to thirty eight minutes a game. Yeah, you wonder though at what point that you know his freshman legs start to feel, you know, start to feel the burn of of yeah. you know a thirty game schedule. And can he hold up? You know, well, I wonder about that because these kids now, you know, I understand when you hit the wall in the NBA, these rookies, but like 30 games, the amount of ball these kids are playing now before they get to college, I wonder if that even is even significant anymore, you know? Well, that's a good point. Good point. Like, I mean, like your, your average big time recruit is constantly playing basketball these days. You know, you're on this AAU circuit. You're on the camp circuit. They, it, like, if you want to be a serious college basketball player, you don't take too much time off from playing basketball. Yeah, it's a ten-month uh, season, pretty much. Yeah, from the time you're like basically, hell, from the time you're like a sixth grader, if you're like one of the elites, you're playing. You're playing most of the year. You know, so I wonder what the effect of that is now. Um, also. How many minutes did Ennis play tonight? I'm looking that up right now because I don't recall. 30... I only got to watch from like the last five minutes of the first half on, but I don't remember him coming out at all in the second half. Yeah, he played 37 minutes. Yeah, yeah, 37 minutes. That's ridiculous. Uh, besides CJ, who played the whole game, that's the most minutes anybody played tonight in our team. Like, uh... that's, that's insane. This guy is... You know, graduated from high school, what, six months ago now? And he's he's out there, you know, running a point for a major college team that's ranked in the top ten and getting, you know, play most of the games. That's that's insane. Uh, you know, but, uh, but I like him, you know. He's he's tough. You know, he, he doesn't really – he doesn't turn the ball over too much, you know. He's – 
Hell, we didn't even turn the ball over too much. We we turned the ball over only eight times tonight. That's really, really good. Yeah, that's outstanding. Yeah. CJ yeah, had been having some problems um, keeping a handle on the ball. And, you know, I had read some articles that, that um, you know, kind of question, uh, you know, his ability to to hold the ball um, in the clutch. But, you know, Beheim made a good point that said, you know, this is nothing that he's too – he's overly concerned about. Um, he's the focal point of the offense now. Obviously, he's going to be touching the ball a lot more. He's expected, um, you know, his turnover ratio to increase a little bit, and he feels that he'll get that under control uh, as the season goes on. Yeah. Um, but speaking of the season going on, uh, Dewan Coleman's got to get himself into some game shape. He only played 12 minutes tonight. Didn't uh, didn't have a field goal attempt uh, in the game. After starting hot yesterday, but only logging 16 minutes, hardly playing in the second half, um, and you know the back to back to back are going to going to kill a guy like him. Well, you know, I wonder how much more weight can he lose. You know, like what what is the where does he where does he reach the point where he can actually make it up and down the court more than four times without gasping for breath? You know, the guy lost, he shed at least 20 pounds from last year to this year. I mean, he's still a big dude, but it's like, you know, how much more can he really do? Is this going to be one of those cases where it's like, you know, for the whole time here, it's going to be an issue? Because it's unfortunate if it is, because he's been showing some serious promise on the offensive end, and we've been having to pull him out A because... Uh, he's a liability on, de- on the defense, and he's primarily a liability on defense because he's too out of breath to be playing good defense, you know? Yeah. There were a couple times there where he was the last man down the court on three or four different California breaks. Yeah. Um, we're going to have you know, our share of, of teams that we play who prefer some transition basketball. Um and to not be able to count on him in the lineup because he is gifted on the uh, on the offensive end, um, you know, is going to be is going to be a detriment. What I mean, what's that mean? Does that mean you're going to see more Grant and Kada? Yeah, you know, in games like that, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but um, you know, at, at this point, Grant's upside is tremendous, but you know, he still has some things to work on. Um, in terms of putting his game together, mid-range jump shot, his free throws uh, came together today. But you know that's that's the first sign of of ha- of him having any consistency from the free throw line. So you know we'll see what happens. Right now we're only eight deep. Um, you know yeah. with, with only really with only five guys playing. You know consistent yeah. considerable minutes. And I don't know what what I'm supposed to. What's supposed to be – what level of performance am I looking for Rakeem Christmas to make me happy? You know? Yeah, it's like not – he starts every game. He came in as a highly touted recruit. And I don't know. I really don't see it, you know? You know, if he's pulling down six to eight, you know, rebounds and, you know, two or three offensive rebounds and, um, you know, facilitates the, the zone – uh, you know, I think you're happy. You know, he's a 
he, he's that mold of the Otis Hill, J.B. Reef Snyder oh, player. J.B. Reef Snyder. Who can, you know, take up some space and, and be active, um, you know, down low. But I, I'm not sure you're getting that out of him yet. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. Sometimes there's times when he's out there where it looks like he might turn the corner. You know, he starts playing with a little bit more energy. And then other times where it's like, all right, this is what we got, you know. He's a guy that's, you know. I don't know if. Uh, he gets the ball down low and he decides he's going to try to put it on the put it on the ground instead of just going straight up with it. That guy, you know. I don't know if, if the other three freshmen are, are on Bayheim's radar. Um, now, um, they certainly, you know, they certainly got some look early on, um, in the beginning of the season, but, but really once we started playing some games of, of, um, that had some meaning, you know, they're, they're out of the picture. So we're down to, you know, to an eight man rotation. I think that's what it's going to be. I think that's what it's going to look like. Ennis is going to play some, you know, significant minutes. Uh, you're going to lean on fair, um, to, you know, to handle uh, the clutch spots. And then, you know, you hope the Jeremy Grant and uh, and Trevor Cooney can round it out and, and alternate on, on having nights where they just are, you know, out of the gym. And if you can get that, I think you can play in any game. And I think they're going to be a fun team to watch, although we're going to have our requisite heartbreak and we're going to have our uh, requisite heartburn. And, you know, it's Syracuse basketball, man. Yep. Jim, uh, Coach Beheim never like he never likes playing too many freshmen once you're playing games against teams of consequence, you know, such as uh, major conference foes. He, you know, but once we get back to town and play some of these smaller conference guys, you, I guess we'll see, uh, you know, Patterson and Roberson, uh, you know, see the likes of those guys a bit more. Uh, one thing I wanted to note though was the um, was the gash that CJ Fair took on his uh, right below his eye last night on his uh, upper right cheek in that Minnesota game. I'm looking at a picture right now of it. It's it's pretty grisly. He ended up getting last night when he went up for a dunk and he was elbowed or smacked, whatever it was, right across the face and came down gushing blood. Ended up getting eight stitches. Yeah, that's what they said. On the Syracuse.com website, they're saying 11 stitches. I don't know if there's a difference, but I don't know. The more stitches, the more badass, though, I guess. I would say so. But what was amazing was, like, he wasn't having the greatest night last night. He went up there, you know, sent that dunk down with some authority. In the process, he was smacked, which was clearly a foul, uh, although it wasn't called because they weren't, you know, as you pointed out earlier, that he wasn't checking him on his hip. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But uh, it seemed like that, like, really got his fire gone last night because at the end of the game, we need somebody to take over. C.J. Fair started taking over, you know. He he shut the door on Minnesota at the end. You know, he had uh, 16 and 10, I think, last night. Uh, f- last night he had 16 and 10. He did. He was 2 for yeah. 2 for from the free throw line, uh, 7 for 15 from the field. But like you said, the, those last two minutes, um, he just took over. Yep. And I, I think... 
tonight he didn't have the greatest game, but I don't even think that's the worst thing in the world because tonight he didn't have a great game, but what did we see? We saw Ennis stepping up. We saw Grant stepping up where he needed to be. We saw Cooney gone nuts from three-point range. Yeah, I mean, if, if like, our starting, if the starting five we throw out there can give us production like that and then we can, you know, spell them here and there throughout the games, we're, we're going to be hard to beat this season. It'll be fun to watch. Yep, yep, looking forward to it. Well, we got yeah. Baylor, Baylor tomorrow night. Um, yep. We'll see what happens there. That's going to be a tough test. Uh, Baylor's ranked 18th yeah. uh, in the nation. They always come to play. I remember it wasn't that long ago where they had Baylor come come up to the Dome, you know, before Baylor got good. You know, they came up to the Dome. This is in the last 10 years, you know, just like any other nobody, one-off, guarantee game, a team that we're supposed to beat. Now Baylor's, like, consistently, like, a top-20 program. So, um, with that being said, we cannot lose to Baylor. <laughs> Um, other than that, we have, um, second tier bowl bid yep. eligibility on the line this weekend as Boston College comes into town. Um, I believe the Belk Bowl is on the line this weekend. <laughs> I'm not even joking about that. I'm pretty sure that's where we'll end up. Although I was doing some research and the ACC does have a tie-in to, uh, the new Era Bowl. Which, yeah, they, they made sure to get that once we moved to the ACC. So I wouldn't be surprised if um, if we do become bowl eligible that we end up there, um, as that would be a nice... Um, the only thing that could make it better is if we ended up in the Beef O'Brady's Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if there's any chance we could ever go to the Beef O'Brady's Bowl, but, you know, come on, just for an opportunity to go to a bowl named after a restaurant... A chain restaurant that I've never heard of. <laughs> Named Beef Brady. That is more than worth the trip there. I didn't even realize that that's what that was. It's a chain restaurant? Yeah, I believe it's some type of... Uh, and apparently they serve some type... Uh, a chain that focuses on beef sandwiches served in an Irish atmosphere, I imagine. Uh... Just based on the name Beefo Brady. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to see here. Are you uh, Googling Beefo Brady's I'm, right I'm, now? I'm Googling the bowl, and it looks like uh, the 2012 matchup was Ball State versus Central Florida. 2011 was FIU versus Marshall. Um, looks like it had a Big East tie for a while. Yeah. Louisville played in it. For a while, all two years of its um, existence. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, I'm wrong. It transitioned from, it was the Magic Jack St. Peter's Bowl in 2008. So so it, it is quite venerable, going all the way back to the late 2000s. <laughs> uh, well, on that note, my friend. Right, Go well, Cuse. Go Cuse, go Orange, and happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, my friend. With apologies to Girk's brother. We'll see you guys next week. Adios.